Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He's preaching from Leviticus chapter 20 verses 7 through 9 and Luke 14 verses 26 through 35. My name is Clint. I get to be one of the pastors here. I'm glad to bring the Word of God here this morning for Church of the Beloved. Today we're going to walk through uh, another very difficult passage of Leviticus. Uh, if you haven't been with us during the series, the series in Leviticus has been a blueprint of the gospel, a blueprint for redemption. And Leviticus it seems like an archaic, out-of-date, old-fashioned book of the Old Testament, and yet it has a profound insight for us today. So we come today to two passages, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament, and on the surface, they seem like they're contradictory, don't they? On one hand, it says in the Old Testament, anybody who curses their father and mother shall be put to death. And the New Testament says, whoever doesn't hate their mother and father. And we're like, what is going on here? I'm getting whiplash from going back and forth. See, see, pastor, see, pastor, this is, this is your Bible is wonky and weird and outdated. And I want to encourage you, no. I want to encourage you something that if we understand what scripture is informing us, if we read it for its reading, if we allow it to read us is maybe another way of putting it we're going to come to see that actually the Bible does this incredibly, incredibly, I'm going to call it wicked thing to us. It's coming from uh, the, the New Testament, the passage out of Luke says, whoever doesn't count the cost, whoever doesn't start beforehand and think about the measure of their life and does not willingly give it all up, don't start it. The New Testament maybe says, if you're not ready to receive what God has for you in his commands in Leviticus's very command law book, The Bible says, just stop. If you're not willing to count the cost, you're not willing to pay the cost at the end of the project, don't do it. And one of the costs is this. Our concept of community is skewed. The Bible is telling us our concept, all of the structures that we make in culture or society or tradition or individually, our values of community are wrong. The Bible gives us a new understanding of community. See, there's, I think, this really weird perception. If you grew up, uh, none of you are as old as I am. There's like three of us who are my age in this congregation, so uh, you guys won't understand this. There was a time and day and age in which, you know, you get these cassette tapes that were brought in these giant portfolios that were plastic, and they looked like they weighed 50 pounds, but they were like five ounces. It's like Amazon packaging on steroids. It was so bad. And you'd open up and get these cassettes, and there was these understandings of what family is. Family is the central point of the Christian faith. A lot of people would extol you. And actually, what I found, at that time, I didn't have the concept, I didn't have the understanding. I said, okay, family's important, yes, clearly, but, but it seems to me not to be everything. It seems family is important, but it's not everything. See, we live in a culture and society that says this, either family, the nuclear family, the, the lineage. Maybe some of you come from a tradition. Uh, I just learned the other night. Some of you come from a tradition in which you don't actually know your relative's proper name. You know them by a title. You know them by uh, some sort of military ranking uh, in the system, uh, which I find fascinating. I wanted to learn more about this. Uh, I actually asked these individuals who were teaching me this, can you tell me more? And they're like, no, I actually can't. I just know a name and I say that to them. And that's all I know them as. Like, that's bizarre. It is bizarre. But at the same time, We can't reject family. 
We can't say on the other end, like most of society does, well, fam the nuclear family, the individual family, the home is not most important. There's something else more important. And what the Bible says is this. If I was to ask you a question, is the family important? Yes. Is community important? Yes. Is family the most important? No. How? Ah. Uh, that's what I want to do today. Today, I want to walk you through how the Bible is not at odds with each other. The Bible is not at odds. It has the same cohesive message for you and I today. And the message is this. Community is good and we need it. I want to show you that today what community is or how you do community. That sounds weird. How you do community is by learning. What community is, it is good. And finally, the ultimate community in Christ. I want to show you how to do community. It's by learning. What community is, it's good. And then lastly, the ultimate community. And to hammer this point home a little further, uh, many of us come from a tradition that has respect and hierarchy and standing and status all the way throughout. And some of us come from communal aspects. Uh, Esau Macaulay uh, comments with Ben Watson. Uh, if you come from a African-American, a black community, a question that may be asked of us is, uh, where are your people from? I'm a huge Georgia fan, and so I travel down to Georgia sometimes to watch games. Uh, and a, a comment I hear is, who are your people? Or where are your people from? And it's a very interesting uh, question. And the meaning of this is to say, what's your community lineage? Do you come, are you cut from good cloth? Who are your people? Do I know them? Do I have any association? Uh, I remember one time, uh, if you have older brothers and sisters, maybe this is a sore subject or a great subject. Uh, I, I got pulled over uh, one time for speeding. That's a lie. I've been pulled over many times for speeding. <laughs> I happened to speak to an officer this time who looked at me, and he looked at my driver's license, and he said, Shamblin, are you Wayne's kid? And I said, yes. I was like, oh, this can go either one of two ways. And he said, I know, I know your pops. You're good. Slow down. Handed me my driver's license, and I went on my way. Now, of course, I didn't slow down at all. It was a wasted time of that breath. But my people were known to this officer. He knew my father. And because he knew my father, he knew something about me. Now, again, I want to encourage you as we get into this, I want you to see community is good. Family is good. Christ is better. And I want to show you how that works. One, I want to show you how to do community. Uh, the Bible holds firmly that family is vital. It's important. Leviticus tells us time and time again, uh, the Ten Commandments, the New Testament later. Uh, it's wild. The New Testament talks all the time about parenting, uh, talks a great deal about family, of how brothers and sisters are to interact with one another. It talks about elders being good fathers. It talks about deacons and elders themselves and pastors parenting uh, children of the church. As a matter of fact, Parenting is essentially replicating good citizens of yourself. That's my basic understanding of parenting. If I was to give you discipleship definition, it'd be this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, it's not just follow me. That's sinful. And it's not just follow Christ because it's hard. <laughs> it's follow me as I follow Christ. It's both one and the same. That's discipleship. That's parenting. I look at my little replicants and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I do. It's, it's wild. 
And it's kind of like that mother duck, right? And ducklings follow the mother duck behind. Pastoring is very similar to parenting. As a matter of fact, many of us maybe grew up in a, a home in which having a wife or a husband was paramount, right? If you don't get married, you're, you're not much of anything. If you don't have children, you're not much of anything. Actually, what scripture indicates to us is the family of Christ, the children, the sons and daughters of Christ is of equal footing as your family. Now, hold on a second, pastor. How did you just say that? Let me say it again. I love my children dearly. And they will, somehow I'll pay for college for them. I don't know how, but somehow I will. I love all of you. I'm not paying for your college. Just so we get that out of the way. But parenting them and parenting a church is similar. It just so happens that most of you are not to the replicant age in which I need to instruct you to use the restroom before we go on a road trip. You can take care of that on your own. But pastoring and parenting has so much carryover. And as a child to a parent, a father or a mother, as a pastor, the Bible tells us in Leviticus, it says this very, very, very direct, very bold, almost legalistic and seemingly harsh statement. If you dishonor your father and your mother, blood is on your head. And we go, wow, that's, that's dramatic. That's clearly, clearly you have to understand in that time, they didn't really mean that, and blah, 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 blah. And we go down, and actually, Leviticus, the author of Leviticus is informing us. It's driving home in us, something that is near and dear. It says, if you curse your parents, you're cursed yourself. If you curse your parents, you're basically asking for death to come upon you. Now, what does that mean? I want to dork out for a little bit, if I may, so go down this rabbit hole with me. I want to talk about that word cursed in the Hebrew as it's talking about the rest of Leviticus. When it says, if you curse your mother and father, we typically think of cursing um, as, you know, those like four-letter words you can't say to somebody else when you're a child. Um, and then I, I, I'm riding the L train much more as I'm coming back from the loop back to my house, right when all the high school students are getting out of school. And it's really fun to me to listen to some of them uh, because it's clear as day, this is like they're freshmen and they're on the L train for the first time because F-bombs dropping out every other word. And I'm like, oh, this is your first time without parents around. <laughs> and you're like free to speak. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about when the Bible says when, to curse something, to look at something else and say, I curse you, I belittle you. It's talking about demeaning something. It's talking about taking a high and vaulted office and making it mundane. If you grew up in church, maybe an example of this is uh, when the Lord beckons his people into his presence, he asks some to take off their shoes because where you're standing is on holy ground. There's a burning bush. Or when you enter the tabernacle, you're supposed to cleanse yourself. When you come to church, you're supposed to present yourself holy to God because there's a difference between that ground and this ground based upon the presence of God. And to say that ground is not holy, that presence is not God, is demeaning God. Now, likewise, here's why this is really curious. Likewise, saying this ground is of equal footing as God's presence is equally demeaning. It's taking a mundane thing and making it holy, and it's taking a holy thing and making it mundane. That's when it says to curse something is to steal from it the weight, the glory making it trivial. So when the Bible says, when God says, do not make trivial, do not take the weight from your parents, here's what it's saying. Now this is, this is going to get 
again, go with me here. When we look at our parents and we say, parents, you're, you're, you're not good parents. You screwed up with me. You, you didn't teach me the right ways. You were too harsh to me. You were too liberal with me. You were too freeing with me. You were too protective. You're not a good parent. And we demean the office that's been given to them. Now, uh, my wife and I struggled with infertility uh, in the beginning of our marriage, trying to have children, and maybe some of us in this congregation have dealt with that as well. And the reality of the situation is, if you're parents or not parents, if you want to have kids or not have kids, the reality is this. God gifts children to his people. Sometimes they come in the form of a congregation, of a community of brothers and sisters, of sons and daughters, and sometimes they're biological. The Bible countless times says this truth. It says that our civic, our social leaders are given to us by God. Now, we, we don't like this sometimes, do we, church? We might, I think there's a, a common understanding that today we can demean people. Maybe we'll use the phrase, well, that's not my leader. That's not my mayor. I don't, I don't follow them. We do this with parents, don't we? I don't follow you. You've messed up. You've done horrible things. I can't count you as a mother or a father. I'm an adult now. You're nothing to me. What Jesus is telling us in the book of Leviticus, because he is the word, what, what God's people wrote down for us is that when the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother, what it is saying is this, I gifted them you. God is telling us, I gifted them you. I've gifted you leaders. And for you to say, oh, that person is, that person is beneath me. Uh, I, uh, I have this rule in my house, uh, and, and it seems kind of formal. My children, when we enter your home, uh, we try to learn what you do as a family, and we try to follow it. Uh, and then I also ask my children to call you Mr. and Mrs. wherever we enter. Uh, it seems kind of formal. It seems kind of weird. It seems kind of uh, old. I want to encourage my children. There are people who are in our lives. There are older people. There are leaders. There are pastors. There are mayors. There are presidents. There are governors who have been appointed by God to lead us. Now, here's what's wild about that. Here's what's wild. Um, People will tell me all the time, like if you read any book on leadership, they're like, well, there's, there's good leadership and bad leadership. Do you know what there's not anything of, though, in business, in the place that you work, in your family? There's no absence of leadership. Just like in a church, there's no absence of discipleship. You're either making good disciples or bad disciples. You're either leading well or you're leading incorrectly. But there's no absence of leadership because we as people follow models, don't we? So if we look at our family and we say to ourselves, I'm demeaning you, I'm making below, mom, dad, you're, you're less than what I expected. What God is saying is this, they might not be perfect, hint, they aren't. But I gifted them you so that you may learn something from them. Have you thought about that for a second? Have you ever thought those times in your life in which you have a horrible, horrible boss and you're like, this person's the worst. I'm like, yeah, they are pretty bad. And then after a couple of years of being underneath a horrible boss and, and just a wicked person, all of a sudden you come out of that time and, and your patience has grown. 
your grace has grown. Maybe you've been more steeled in your convictions. See, apply that to parents. Maybe you didn't like your parents because they were either too liberal or too crushing, either way. But you learned something from them, didn't you? Our job is to take the fish meat and leave the bones because our parents are broken individuals. Our pastors are broken individuals. Our elders are broken individuals. And the more that you can give them grace, the more you can look at your parents and say, you did your best with the knowledge you had at the time, the more you can learn from them. But if you come with your arms crossed and saying, you're evil, you'll never learn from them. You'll never take anything from them. What God is saying is, please do not demean good things down to the, to the level of erroneous, less than ideal. Uh, in Bruce Lee, uh, the dragon movie, uh, Bruce is trying to court a woman, and he's, he's a dishwasher. Uh, and this, there's this older gal who sees him trying to court uh, this young woman, and, and the, the older woman looks at Bruce Lee and says, you'll never get her. You're nothing but a dish." washer. And she, she makes an emphatic point to say, this is, been, this is how low you are. This is how bad you are. This is how bottom of the rung you are. Okay. I love food and I love Chicago because it loves food. <laughs> Do you know what we wouldn't have in all of the, you know, you and I could never walk into any single day if we didn't have dishwashers. All of these Michelin five-star restaurants all over the place, we would never walk into because you know what happened if the second you did? You get sick. E. coli would be a common thing for every single person. Chicago would have to shut down. We couldn't get things. We couldn't enjoy the good food. Do you know the number one way to disrupt a city? The easiest and simplest way to disrupt a city? Uh, have the sanitation service strike. City is just done. Trash piles up, sewage piles up, and you're toast. You're done. Why do we demean those things as less than when they're vital? Do you see, you and I, if we want to enjoy fantastic food, the thing that we need to understand is that we must take what God has given us and not demean things, not make them lower. Do you do that with your family? Do you do that with your community? Here's an easy test to think if you're above people in your community. Do you think you're giving charity to people based upon your presence and your time? Do you think you're the best person at a party and your friends are glad to have you as a friend. Because if you do, you're demeaning them. Do you think of your family the same way? You're like, oh yeah, mom and dad. Oh man, they're so backwards in their thinking. <laughs> I need to educate them. I need to bring them up to speed. If you do that, what you're saying of them and what you're saying of yourself is that you're better than them. And this flies in the face of the gospel because you know what Jesus says? I count myself as nothing. I came to serve, not be served. Do you see? And this idea from Hebrews, this understanding of distancing, of making a very important holy thing trivial, it's for us to know and us to understand our native tendency, our natural tendency, is to base our friendships, based our culture, based our community, our family on works righteousness. 
Works righteousness is our native heart. We look at people and we say, well, should I bless you with the, with the, the time and space that I give you? Some of you, many of you are single in the room. Can I speak to you really quickly, singles? I'm going to tell you a piece of dating advice that is going to fly in the face of literally every single article you've ever read in your entire life. Are you ready? Stop having non-negotiable standards. Get rid of them. And you're like, well, pastor, that sounds horrible. I know it sounds horrible. I'm with you. I get it. Do you know who's never going to live up into your non-negotiable standards? Every single person you try to date. Literally. Well, I can't date a guy if he doesn't have a full-time job. Wow. COVID really put a kink in that system. Well, I, I, can't, I can't date a guy unless he's got good fashion. What is fashion even? I don't, what, what does that mean? I just found out Lululemon's making pants for men that are like awesome and cool. And I bought some. I was like, sure, let's try this. I don't know. He's got to have good fashion. Guys, guys, single guys, can I speak to you really quick? <laughs> you should laugh. <laughs> Stop trying to find the most beautiful woman of your dreams. Stop. I'm dead serious. One, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Okay, that's just, there it is. Here, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, go outside and look at the doors that are painted in Cervantes and tell me if it's black, blue, or gray. And you're all going to have different answers for it because before service, we were debating, is that blue, is that black, is that gray? It's not. <laughs> it's not blue. I'm going to be all flustered right now. <laughs> Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And do you know what's going to happen to beauty as you age? It's going to go. What happens when your beautiful soon-to-be bride is now 45? And you're like, well, she's not what she was before. You're right. You're not either, by the way, really quick. <laughs> Stop doing that because no one's ever going to live up for it because you're missing a whole lot of good people based upon things that are superficial or silly. Instead, find a godly person that wants to be humble in life and stick with them. God says the same thing about community. The offices he gives us as father, as mother, as pastor, as elder, as citizen, as mayor, as president, do not demean those offices. It says more about you than it does say about them. When you demean others, it tells me a great deal more about you than it does about them. Respect what God has given, including your parents, because it's vital. Because they've taught you something. Whether they're good or bad, and here's a hint, they're bad. Love them and serve them no matter what. Now, that's the first part. That's the first part. It's vital, and it's, it's, it's something that should be upheld. And the second part that I want to do, this, this next part, is what is community? How do we do community? We learn it. We have to understand it because our natural desire is to give people respect based upon their works, based upon their beauty, based upon their skills. And the Bible says no. Do you know, I, I love uh, every single time Jesus is portrayed in the movie because you know what happens every single time Jesus is portrayed in a movie? Dude's got like an eight pack and he's got 2% body fat and he's gorgeous. Do you know what the Bible says about Christ? He was not something to behold. The Bible called Jesus really kind of homely looking. 
Because if it was based upon attractiveness, based upon the world's standards, Christ was rejected by the world because he didn't match those standards. Why are you following the same standards? Respecting people based upon their good works. Respect people based upon the, the thing that God has given them, not the thing that you've given them. And what has God given every single person on the planet? His image is implanted into every single individual on planet Earth. So, learn what is good about God in people and serve that and you'll be serving God. That's the first point. The second point, what is community? It's good. Now, the first part, I said it's vital, it's good, follow structure. And the second point I want to make is I want to make this distinction. Community is good, it's not great. Community is good, it's not great. I want to use the same thing uh, that I did in the Hebrew. I want to turn to the Greek in the passage that was read to you. It says, whoever doesn't hate his mother and father, and again, we go, wow, that's very dramatic. What has happened here? At one end, it's vital. We're supposed to respect and honor and follow. And the second thing, the Bible's telling me to hate people. I thought Jesus wasn't a hater. I thought he was a lover. Mm. He must be saying something that we have to learn. So let's learn it together in community. Christ is saying in this, what he is saying by you must hate your mother and your father is the distance between your love of parents and your love of him must be a chasm so wide that it seems like hate. That's what he's saying. Because we misappropriate hate. When I say, hot take, I have two food takes that apparently everybody here can't stand about me. So I'll, I'll share them now publicly. I hate ice cream. I know. <laughs> I know. Thank goodness Jenny's has that vegans, uh, uh, like sorbet stuff. It's delicious, by the way. That, that rainbow taffy is exceptional. I hate ice cream. Now you say, you hate ice cream? I hate ice cream. I also hate sushi. Uh, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I told you. It's the seaweed. The seaweed gets me every single time. I know, I know. And by the way, all of your suggestions are for what me to try so that I'll like it. I've done it. I've tried them all. It's something in my brain at this point that I walk into a sushi restaurant and I know I'm going to hate it. So I need a psychologist, not a dietitian right now. When I say I hate those foods, do, do I have violent anger tendencies towards sushi and ice cream? I don't. I don't walk into a Jenny's and be like, oh, I need to fight you, gallon of ice cream. Compared to a flank steak that's been marinated for two days and perfectly seared to medium level and put on my plate, I hate ice cream because that flank steak is something else. See, the difference, the, the chasm between those two appetites, the chasm between those two things that are good. Is sushi in, innately evil? No, I know that. Is ice cream innately evil? No, I know that. My responsiveness to those things and my responsiveness to a delicious steak are so different that it seems like I do want to violently attack ice cream. And here's what the New Testament says. It says, because it gives, it gives two examples. It says, if you do not hate your mother and father, nay, if you don't hate your own life. Now, now we're getting drastic. Now we're actually ratcheting up things. Now the Bible tells us, compared to our love of Christ, your love of self and your love of parents and your love of tradition and your love of culture and your love of community and your love of food and your love of institutions and your love of education and your love of sports teams 
should pale in comparison to your love of Christ. So when I say community is good, it means this. This word hate means properly order. Do you know what is innately sinful in the world? Everything. Everything is naturally sinful. You and I, the institutions we create because we created them, the things that we, because we created them, things we follow. Do you know what's great and good? Christ. Christ is great and good because he is outside of that. And only when we get to reorientate our priorities, only when we don't define our priorities, but Christ prioritizes our order of loves, it's good. So, is college football a sin? No, it's not. Can I make college football a sin by loving it too much? I most certainly can. Is your spouse a sin? No. Marriage is good. Can marriage become a sin because of the value you place on it? Absolutely. Is your service to others a sin? No. Can it become a sin by the priority that you give it? Yes. Church, when Christ says family is good, whoever doesn't hate his mother and father, who doesn't hate their own life, what he is saying is this, to be a Christ follower, let me just, if you, if you don't believe the gospel, if you're not following the gospel, let me encourage you with something. It's going to challenge you to upset every single priority you've ever had in life. If you don't want that, if you don't want Christ telling you how to spend your money, how to spend your time, how to spend your energy, what values, what morals, what actions, what service to do, don't follow him. I'm telling you right now, it's going to end badly for you. But instead, if he is better than what we have, is his ways better than our ways, then I'll follow him to the ends of the earth. And my love of self needs to die. As Christ will say, I must decrease, he must increase. I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing first. Do you see? It's community, family, tradition, People are good. They're not great. Now, here are some implications. I'm going to quickly give you some. Uh, that's, that's like, that's meta, right? You're like, okay, hate my life, love God. Great. How do I do that? How do I hate my life in comparison to Christ's love? Let me, let me tell you the implications. It's far easier. Uh, I am horrible at golf. I, I was not given a body for golf. Um, but I took coaching lessons from a coach, and I would try to hit this ball as hard as I could every single time, and the coach was telling me how to swing, and I was just failing miserably. So finally, the coach said, close your eyes. I said, what? I said, close your eyes. I'm like, okay. And they put a ball on the tee, and I said, do everything that I've told you to do. And so I finally did everything I, he told me to do, and I hit this stupid ball, and he goes, open your eyes. I said, okay. And I opened my eyes. He goes, you see that ball? And I was like, that one, like, way out there, nice and long and straight? He goes, yes, that one. I was like, whose is that? <laughs> he goes, it's yours. I think a lot of times Christian faith is similar to that. We can acknowledge the times in which we are approaching Christ by the actions that we replicate well. So I'm going to give you outcomes of if you are viewing your life as less than Christ's kingdom. If you're viewing your community, your parents, your family lineage, your values as less than Christ's kingdom, here are some outcomes that will happen. One, you'll forgive easily. 
knowing that community is good, but it doesn't have to be perfect. You can forgive your parents for their wrong parenting of you. Why? Because you know you have a better community in Christ. Two, you can associate with sinful people like me <laughs> because you know this person doesn't have to be my end all. I already have a king. I don't need a second. Third, you can commit to people who aren't like you because you understand that community is based upon what God has given you, not what they have given you. Fourth, you're not somebody else's God. Now, this one's a little trickier, church. This one should comfort you the most. Because I think a lot of times, don't we like playing the hero? By the way, every time somebody reads the, the New Testament, do you know what we typically do in Bible study? Somebody asks, like, who are you most like in this passage? And you're like, well, I'm most like, most like Paul in this passage. You're like, the second greatest evangelist of all time. You're like, oh, okay. How many thousands of people have you baptized? None? You're nothing like Paul. Just a quick FYI. Don't we like to make ourselves the hero of all the stories that we're in? If you understand that somebody else has a king who's Christ and you don't have to be it, do you know what that really does to you? Let me put it this way. You don't have to impress a single person ever again. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that lovely to never have to try to impress somebody else ever again because you're so loved by the Father and you know the Father will so love them that your failed attempts to love them are service enough? Lastly, and maybe some of you are in this camp, and this is not a, a marketing ploy. This is, again, I, maybe you're shopping for a church. And you go to church to church, and you say, well, I want a church that has X, Y, and Z, and you have 12 lists of things that you want a church to do. Do you know what you've just made that church or that community? You've made it into a consumer good. Do you know the thing that Christ said never to do with the church? Do you know the one time he flipped over tables and started whipping people out of the courtyard? Do you know what the people did? They made it a consumer product. And Christ said, not on my watch. Why are you able to commit to a broken individual, a broken community, a broken church? Because you're not looking for a perfect church because one doesn't exist. You're looking for a humble church that wants to seek God above all else. It stops you from trying to become a consumer. And when you have good community, when you see Christ as the true king of your life, you stop being a consumer and you start being a giver every single time. Those are, some in, those are, those are the implications. Lastly, I want to end here. The last point, I'll try to be simple and direct with it. It's a summation of what a covenant is. It's not contract, it's covenant. Community is not something that we give respect to, but God gives respect to, and we honor that respect that he's given. And it's not great, it's good. Where do I get all of this? Where, do, where does Leviticus, who says, if you curse, if you demean what I make holy, if you profane the holy, you should, you should be put to death. By the way, the New Testament says this when Christ says that's blasphemy of the spirit. Blasphemy of the Spirit is saying when Christ does work, like he does a miracle, he's like, oh, you're doing devil's work. Christ's like, no, I'm not. I'm doing God's work. It's profaning the holy. If, if we're not supposed to do that, and secondly, when it says you must hate your mother and father, yes, your own life, the distance between my love of self and my love of my things and the love of Christ must be so cataclysmically different that everybody in the world says, you're weird. You moved to a different city to take a different job when this one would have been better because the church you're a part of is there? Yes. 
you don't spend as much time with other people, but rather you spend your free time serving those who can't serve you back? Yes. That's weird. Here's where I get that from, and here's what the Bible talks about all the time. And it talks about the catechism today had a lot to do with it. Where do we see this perfect community first? The Trinity. Now, really quick, can I tell you something? I'm going to talk about the Trinity. It's bananas. Okay? The Trinity is absolutely bonkers, and I can't tell you fully about it. I can tell you the mystery that is there, and I can tell you some things about it. Okay? If you have more questions about it, search Google. I don't know. It's, just, it's so bananas, guys. No, please come talk to me. It's so insane. Where do I get this? Where do I understand this type of community? I see it in the Trinity. And the best way I can try to show you this, the most simple uh, uh, summation of it is this. I have a question for you. Are you needed by God? Now let that sink in for two seconds. Let me ask it again. Let, let it wash over it. Does God need you? He doesn't. Do you know what's better? He wants you. To be needed is awful. I have a saying. It's, a, I think, a great saying. Uh, if you need me, stop needing me. It's very simple. <laughs> if God needs you, do you know what that means of him? He's not perfect. If you need somebody else, do you know what that means of you? You're less than. God does not need you. He wants you. How do I get that? Now, for this, uh, some of you are married. Some of you think about getting married, and some of you have children. Uh, I'm going to talk about when a man loves a woman. No, I'm not going to bust out in a song, but I am going to talk about it. When we talk, and, and this is, it, it, it's, it's affectionate language. The Bible talks about the Trinity in community. A child is a byproduct of two people's affection for one another. Do you, you hear what I'm saying here? <laughs> A child is a byproduct of the affection of two people coming together. You and I, the creation of the cosmos, the, the spoken order of the world, was not because God the Father, Christ the Son, Spirit the Helper were all sitting together and being like, you know what, you guys are all boring. I think I'm going to go do a side project really quick. I'm going to take seven days. I'm going to go create the cosmos. It was an overflowing abundance of their affection for one another that what came creatively out of their community was the cosmos. You're wanted by God. You're not needed by God. Because if you were needed by God, do you know what you could become? Savior to God. Do you need your spouse to love you? Do you need your friends to love you? If you need that, it's an unhealthy relationship. If you want it, ah... Now you're talking what Christ wanted of you and I. That he didn't count the things of the heaven so great that he was willing to give them up and come to be with you and I. He wanted you and I so badly, he gave up the throne of the cosmos to come die for us. He didn't need to. Do you know what he could have done? He's, he's, he's God. This is like a philosophical problem all day long. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have Thanos that thing all day long. But he didn't. He wanted you and I so bad that he came down and died willingly serving, becoming less than, giving up perfect community with the Father, being cut off from the Father in his death so that you and I never would. Do you see that? The Father leads the Son 
and directs the Spirit. The Son follows the Father and is led by the Spirit. The Spirit enables the Son as instructed by the Father. They're basically having this in- incredible competition all day long to see who can outserve the other. Let me, let me encourage you, church. What if your relationships were like that? Where you're constantly trying to outdo the other person in service to the other person based upon God's redeeming influence and image in their life. What kind of world, what kind of city would we have? What kind of church would we have? What kind of life would you have? Now you say, I can't do that. I know you can't. And this is why the Trinity is so beautiful. Because the Father commands us. The Son showed us. And the Spirit enables us. Let me say that again. The Father commands us. The Son showed us, and the Spirit enables us. And you have all three, church. So you can't say, well, I don't know how to serve. You do. How should I serve? Look at Christ. I don't don't really feel like it. Pray for the Spirit. They all serve one another, and they're serving you and I right now. Do you see that? Do you understand how that works? Church, I'm going to apply this to myself. Uh, If after each Sunday I was looking for affirmation of a sermon from you, because it it filled me, I I need that affirmation from you. Oh gosh, I got to have it. Do you know how, do you know what I would do first of all in sermons? I wouldn't preach, die to yourself, (laughs) because that don't preach so well. Because people are like, oh pastor, that's kind of weird, man. I wouldn't preach, stop having standards for dating. (laughs) That don't preach. And also, I'd be using you to feel good about myself, wouldn't I? But instead, if I'm so filled by the Father that my study with him and the word with him that it spills out here and I can't help but tell you what he's given me, ah, that's different. Do you see, church? What if you had community like that where you're, you're in such great community with the Trinity that it spills out to every other person on planet Earth. Here are some other implications of what that might look like. Here's how you can help foster that community. Cherish the way that you want other people, not need them. Embrace the community that the Trinity has given you, not the one that you want. Here's a short way of saying that. Stop trying to fix everybody. You won't. They won't, and you'll just bruise them and they'll bruise you. Have such amazing friendship built upon grace that you can be rejected by the world and not shatter. Seek the flourishing of the community above yourself, and in doing so, receive the gifts of others as imperfect. And lastly, many of us who are outside of our biological family's life now, maybe you moved to Chicago to get away from your family. Maybe you're like, I'm just going to pick the place that's farthest away from, from Texas, which is just a great thing altogether, um, or Alabama, for that matter, or Florida, for that matter. Tell Yuji I said that later. Have you thought about making your family wanted, not needed, and what a gift that would be to them? Because it would be a gift to you. Because Christ wants you. He doesn't need you. Let that wash over you and receive that today.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.